My brothers and sisters, the Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. Jesus spoke to the crowds and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees have taken their seat on the chair of Moses. Therefore do and observe all things whatsoever they tell you, but do not follow their example. For they preach, but they do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens hard to carry and lay them on people's shoulders, but they will not lift a finger to move them. All their works are performed to be seen. They widen their phylacteries and lengthen their tassels. They love places of honor at banquets, seats of honor in the synagogues, greetings in marketplaces, and the salutation, Rabbi. As for you, do not be called Rabbi. You have but one teacher, and you are all brothers. Call no one on earth your father. You have but one father in heaven. Do not be called master. You have but one master, the Christ. The greatest among you must be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, but whoever humbles himself will be exalted. The Gospel of the Lord. One of the things that is easy to miss in this gospel reading is that Jesus loves the scribes and the Pharisees. So often with the gospels, I think, as we become increasingly familiar with them and hopefully finding ourselves aligning with Jesus, or at least we think we're on team Jesus, we can hear and see how they're often seen as challenging and questioning him. For over a month now, every one of our Sunday Gospels has been demonstrating this. And St. Matthew hasn't minced words as he was describing them, saying how the Jewish leaders were going off and plotted how they might entrap Jesus. So it's obvious that they're the protagonists. They're part of team not Jesus in most of the interactions captured in Scripture. And because he is truth, Jesus doesn't back away from their challenges. He doesn't soft pedal or spin things just to get along. Whether he's calling out their mistakes to their faces or pointing out their bad example as something to avoid as he does in today's gospel. There's no sugarcoating going on when he says, the scribes and the Pharisees do not follow their example for they preach but do not practice. As he launches into the sermon where he's, he's warning about the dangers of hypocrisy. Because these individuals so often oppose Jesus and we hear these kinds of responses, we know Jesus is incredibly frustrated and he's justifiably angry with them. But we can't forget why he spends as much time as he does with these types of debates with them. The reason he's having such a reaction to them is because he loves them. When you love someone and you know them, and you see what they can become, you see the potential that exists that they're not living up to, 
and nothing you seem to say or do seems to be getting through to them. It's maddening. Because at some point, at some time in the lives of these scribes and Pharisees, their lives had been consumed with love of God. They had studied the scriptures. They had mourned what had happened to God's chosen people. They knew their story and their history backwards and forwards. How God had set them apart to be a light to the nations, not in some arrogant way that made them better than everyone else, but so that the world might see them as different, as remarkable, not because of anything they themselves had done, but because of what God himself had done for them and with them. And that the other nations and peoples would want to be drawn to to come to know and love the Lord God themselves and learn that they too were his people, that they were made and fashioned by his own creative hand. But time and again, the the Israelites would break their covenant with God, causing them to to fail in that mission. And usually that happened when they they started looking at all these other nations and peoples and thinking that they're missing something by not being like them. And they end up ignoring their, their chosen status and trying just to be like everyone else. We got one brief glimpse of that example in the, the first reading from the prophet Malachi. That was about 500 years before the birth of Christ. The Jewish people had been conquered and exiled, and now they had returned to Jerusalem. God had once again demonstrated his love, and he had saved his people. And the people's response was, meh. The Jewish priests who were supposed to be leading the people in right worship had abused their roles. And in short, they were cheating God by by swapping out the sacrifices that people were offering for what was unacceptable, keeping the good stuff for themselves. And as the people were watching, they followed these awful examples by the disordered way of living their lives which just resulted in further catastrophes for the Jewish people. So now, fast forward to the time of Jesus, and yes, the Jews had returned to their chosen land, sort of, as they were ultimately under Roman control and had this puppet installed as the king of Israel. They had their temple, sort of, as it wasn't the original temple that had housed the the Ark of the Covenant and had filled the place with God's very presence. Because of unfaithfulness and sin, the ark was lost. That temple had been destroyed. And so this temple was a a rebuilt one that was just a shadow of the glorious original. And while it was this place that the Jews could come to worship and offer the necessary sacrifices, it was also a reminder of all that they had lost and what they still longed for. And so they were awaiting the Messiah, which would be a true son of David, to replace this fake king. And they anticipated that when that happened, the temple's true glory, God's very presence, would return. So the scribes and the Pharisees had gotten maniacally focused on getting things right. If the failures of all their ancestors had resulted in so much destruction, they were going to be the ones to fix it. And on the surface, that's a great intention. That's a noble desire. So they look at all the commandments, the laws, and the rituals that God had prescribed, 
and they decide they're going to follow them better than had ever been done before. In fact, they would go above and beyond because they start to think that more is better. So if God said to fast on one particular day, they'd add a second or a third one. God had given them prescriptions about the Sabbath and Sabbath rest. They were going to be militant to make sure that no one was making a mistake with that. Any slight infraction they'd call out according to their strictest of interpretations. And so they start to make more demands and put greater expectations on the people. And with that, there was this shift where at one time the scribes and Pharisees' lives had been consumed with love of God into now something else. They enjoyed being in charge. They liked being the ones telling others what to do and blaming their failures for why things had not been set right. They didn't even recognize how subtly things had entered in and changed them. They went from wanting God to save them and looking for his return to believing that that would be based and determined on what they did and got others to do. Falling for the same lie of the devil that he put forward to Adam and Eve millennia earlier to be gods themselves. And to add further insult, having all that layered and covered with the trappings and externals of all the religious practices, sacred rituals that God himself had given them that had been passed down from their ancestors for generations were now all being manipulated. That's why Jesus runs so hot so often at the scribes and the Pharisees. There's so much that they do know. They obviously have a lot of passion and energy but it's been co-opted and misdirected. Last Sunday's gospel, Jesus reminds them of the Shema, which was the heart of the Torah. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And one of the points that a, a Catholic theologian made was, without love, the law is cold, and without law, Love is just emotion. Jesus isn't dismissing the law or the commandments. He makes that very clear today. Do and observe all things, but don't follow their example. He's frustrated with what they've become of them in their lopsided approach to things, how cold they've become. Pope St. Leo the Great had this beautiful quote that came to mind. He said, you must learn to find God's heart in sacred scripture to hear God's heartbeat. The leaders don't realize they don't hear God's heartbeat anymore. And that's why they don't see love incarnate in Jesus himself right before them. This gospel is here for us not to get the, just the narrative straight in our minds to celebrate that we're with the right team and just to to shake our heads as we hear about those rascally Pharisees describing the chief priests. That balance between law and love has always been difficult to maintain. The fatal error that the Pharisees describe the chief priests is that they begin to believe it's all in their control and in their power, and that's why Jesus gets so upset. Think about it. He doesn't spend this much time and energy trying to win over the Romans, who are in the end his executioners. Not because he doesn't care about them or love them, but because they hadn't received God's law and covenant. 
That's not going to excuse them or their actions, but it does help explain what Jesus means when he says, to whom much has been given, much is required. For these leaders who say they wanted salvation, they wanted the Messiah, they wanted freedom, that they had so many of the externals correct and were failing so miserably is what angers Jesus. But it's out of deep love and deep disappointment. For all of us who have heard and learned God's word, it's essential for us to find God's heart and to hear his heartbeat, humbly receiving his word and responding to it, to let it transform us so that we can help transform the world. For us to reject the pride and the arrogance and the sin that so often pushes people to one extreme or the other. Recently, reading a, a book of homilies from Pope Benedict XVI, the story that he shared has been on my mind for weeks, and it kept coming back to mind with this gospel. It's a story about how this, this great French author converted to Catholicism. It was early in the 20th century, in the period between the two world wars. And Pope Benedict recounts this young man was, was living just as man lives today with the concessions that he makes for himself, no better and no worse, shackled to pleasures that were against God's will. So that on the one hand, he needs them in order to make life bearable, and yet at the same time finds the same life unbearable after all. And he looks for some way of escaping and strikes up relationships here and there, and nothing satisfying him. He goes to this great theologian, but it remains just this academic discussion, theoretical hair-splitting that doesn't help him make any headway. He becomes acquainted with these two great philosophers who refer him ultimately to this Polish-Dominican priest. And so the author goes to him and describes to him this fragmented life. And the priest says to him, and do you approve of living this way? He said, no, of course not. So you would like to live differently then? You regret it? And he said, yes. And the author recounts, and then something unexpected happens. The priest says to him, kneel down. I absolve you. And this worldly author, this famous and seemingly comfortable in every way man, writes, and then I noticed deep down I had always waited for this moment had always been waiting for there to be someone, sometime, who would say to me, kneel down, I absolve you. And I went back home, I was not a different man. No, I had finally become myself again. The Pharisees, the scribes, the religious leaders missed the numerous opportunities that Jesus puts before them to become themselves again, to find God's heartbeat again. But praise God, you and I still have time. Time for us to actualize the potential that Jesus sees in every one of us who is trying to follow him. To recognize our, our struggles with God's law and his commandments. To humble ourselves and ask for his help, for his healing in the sacrament of reconciliation where we experience his love and his mercy to find our true selves again.